Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, and welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here, of course, with the lovely Tina Spring. And today we decided to talk about some of the questions that people ask us, especially in relationship to some of the things that dogs do that people ask me, like, what in the, why does my dog do X, Y, Z? So I've been reading this great book that I highly recommend by Mark Beckoff called Canine Confidential, Why Dogs Do What They Do. And it's, a, it's been an easy read. It's been really fun. I've learned some great stuff. He also refers to Alexandra Horowitz, who has a couple of great books, Inside of a Dog Being One of Them, and Being a Dog, which is another one of her books, both of which I highly recommend. But one of the things I wanted to start with today is the whole idea of urine and scent marking, because dogs use urine a lot to communicate with each other. So your dog is sending messages to other dogs when he urinates, and he's getting messages from other dogs when they urinate. So what is it that we're learning? What is it about scent marking that is so important for dogs? And he, by the way, included this in the chapter on walking because he wanted to make sure that people understood how important it is for dogs to be able to sniff various urine markings that other dogs have left in the neighborhood because that's how they send their their emails or their texting or whatever. So let's let's start with talking about scent marking. Why do dogs scent mark, and what is it we think they're learning when they sniff all this pee? What do you think, Tina? Well, it'd be a really short podcast if I just said, I don't know, um, which sometimes I don't know. So it, it is, I'm always fascinated by how often people have really fascinating questions about their dog's elimination. I don't know that we always know all the things for certain that I barely know anything most of, most of the time. That's true. Um, we we so, don't know a lot. For one, we can't smell the way they smell. So we're never going right. to truly understand everything they're getting. Right. And like, why, why does a dog lick urine? And I'm like, it, as near as I know, it enhances their ability to smell whatever it is or perceive whatever it is they're perceiving, right? Well, I think it has partly to do with the Verona nasal organ or the Jacobson's organ, which is located at the roof of their mouth. We only have it vestigially. We have it in utero up until about, I think, eight weeks of age, and then we, we lose it. But it's why snakes flick their tongue. They're picking up different scents, pheromones, and other things. And it has its own nervous um, nerve that goes directly into the brain. So I think part of why the reason why they lick urine, you're right, is to get a better understanding of the smell, and that takes it right into the Verona nasal organ. Well, there you go. I get to sound smart without having any idea what you were just talking about. So as you all may have perceived previously, Julie is all about the science, and I'm all about the seat of my pants and haven't done this since 1979. So I have lots and lots of funny elimination stories I can contribute. Well, we always love stories because stories can be, so, we, you know, people, <laughs> by the way, this is, goes back to science. People are hardwired for stories. So I do have lots of funny stories about elimination and elimination questions. Um, and I honestly, I think most of the time we're guessing, maybe an educated guess, but we're guessing why something may be happening. For example, at dog shows, 
you learn that if you have a boy dog, you need to watch him when you're standing still. Because if other intact animals have marked all over the place, there is a decent likely likelihood you're going to end up with a moist leg, right? Um, and and my perception of it was that if you have a young, polite, adolescent puppy boy who lacks confidence, you're the only thing that hasn't been peed on yet, and he doesn't want to offend any other dog. Right. And, and it says right here, not all pee is equal. Okay, so... <laughs> No, I mean, first thing in the morning pee, let's face it, is like mother's milk to my veterinarian. So so it's uh, it's an interesting thing. And I have had actually an adult confident dog who I owned, who sadly has since passed away, who anytime I wore new tennis shoes to training, he would pee on my foot every time. So I had a wet foot a lot. So often those shoes get made into yard work shoes because <laughs> I get tired of having a wet sock. But it's in that case, like he he was a fully confident dog. So I don't know why he was doing it. Maybe he just thought it was funny. Maybe he thought that I was really important to him and that all those other dogs should know that that is my mom, not your mom, even if she gave you my hot dog. So you know, Scruffy Dog was was pretty funny that way and would um, express himself, <laughs> no pun intended, um, by marking my foot. He didn't pee on my leg. He just would lift his leg and pee on like the, on my tarsals. That's very interesting. I, I think it depends, you know, so if this was a dog who was not as confident, we we're talking in this book a little bit about high and low status dogs and high and low marking. And so if you're marking lower, then you're probably a lower status dog than those who are marking higher. And I think that's kind of interesting. The top mark, which is urine placed as an overmark, enhances the validity of a high status signal. So um, the higher you mark, the higher you consider yourself in status. Uh, is might be is one of the theories that has been advanced in this book. So I find that really interesting that your dog didn't mark your leg, but instead marked your shoe. So if it's a young dog and he's just starting to establish himself or he doesn't see him, he's not as confident, that may be why he's marking lower. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. When I get to heaven, I'll ask him if I still care. Um, it's, it, it is interesting to me, though, because I would say that, like, I look at Dovey, who's a two-year-old intact male Doberman puppy. We're, we're currently price checking because um, his surgery has to be special because free dogs are always extra special and expensive. He's yes, absolutely oh. expensive. All of he, my most expensive dogs have been free. Yes. So we're looking at price checking for surgery because it's not as simple as it should be. Um, so he was allowed to learn to mark all over the place. And so nothing is safe. <laughs> like he, he doesn't generally mark in the house, but he doesn't have a lot of opportunity to mark in the house, but like outside he knows no bounds. He will pee on the other dogs while they are peeing and pooping. And so we've had to work quite a bit at like, that's offensive. You giant doofus of a jerk. Stop it. Um, and at one point I asked Christopher to go out and pee on some stuff 
higher than Dovey can mark because I do think as weird as that sounds that that can help. Now, could I collect my first thing in the morning urine and go out there and do it? Yeah. Just a little bit less complicated for a dude. Um, it is, unless you get a sheepy, which is this hiking thing that you can get. Um, when we went to Machu Picchu, some women had it where it allows a woman to urinate while standing up. So if you get yourself a sheepy, you can do it. I mean, I have a Taunton, so I don't know that I need a sheepy. So, um, and Taunton's very shy. He's very proper. So I don't know that he'll ever do it for me. But anyway, so I have had cases where that, you know, urine contest sometimes does solve things in a way that traditional behavior methods don't help. Right. Um, and and in fact, they talk about that in the book that, that, um, that he talks about this, this, researcher called Dr. Lisberg that urine is used in part to advertise to detect female reproductive status, but is also clearly used outside of this context. For example, intact males and females show the same high interest in urine on familiar dogs and investigated male and female urine equally. Anyway, she goes on to say that overall this suggests that dogs smell urine to learn generally about unfamiliar dogs. While we don't yet know most of what they are likely able to detect, this appears to be an important part of how they get to know each other. Allowing dogs to take their time getting to know each other's marks prior to face-to-face interactions might therefore help dogs have smoother introductions, giving them more social cues to guide their behaviors. I found that very interesting. Yeah, well, and I think it it probably does cut through some of the humanness of it all thousand years ago where a single young gentleman had a beautiful female Jack Russell Terrier who was his best friend, right? And he was at the time a big expensive computer programmer. So his PC was, you know, multiple thousands of dollars uh, to have at home for, for working in his home office. He got engaged and the woman moved in with him and his female Jack Russell Terrier would break into his office and pee on the CPU and fry it. And she fried multiple expensive computers that way. Like try as they might, she was really diligent about sneaking in there and taking care of it. Um, And so we, we tried a bunch of different things. And in the end, when she did it the last time, Um, I told him go in there first thing in the morning and like, you're, he's like, we're going to have to gut the room. Like it's awful, right? Like it's, it's just gotten ridiculous. So I said, well, if you're going to do that anyway, if the computer's already a dead duck, then let's try this insane, crazy thing and see if it helps. And so I had him collect some of his urine, but also take care of it on his own. And he peed on the PC, he peed on his desk, he peed on his filing cabinet. He also put drops of urine at kind of where the carpet um, entry to the room is. And so then he let, her name was Harriet. So then he let Harriet in and she goes flying up this, well, so he still made it look like he was trying to block her from the room. Um, but made it so that she could break through it, right? Like he had 
her number on how she was getting around his different options. And so she like all emphatically like do do like mission impossible breaks through the lasers and whatever. And she gets to the threshold of the, the office and like stops, like she's been shot with, you know, a Nerf gun dart and backs up and is wild eyed and wouldn't go in the room. Would not go in the room. Wow, that's um, kind of amazing. Laid down in the hallway and was like, I'm done. And so he he did have the carpet, the subfloor, blah, 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 all the things pulled up. And then after it was all repaired, he just like once a week for six weeks put like two or three drops of urine, of his urine, right there at the doorway to the office. And she just never went in the office again. I find like that really sick. fascinating. Yeah. So, cause I just said to him, like, I think you're in a, in a contest with urine and you're going to have to tell her like, I'm done. Like, we're not, we're not doing this. So, um, she, to my knowledge, she never did it again. And, and it wasn't that she didn't like the fiance future wife, right? Like she did. And she was a really happy, content, well, she was very well trained, but the behavior changed on a dime. Oh, and we did. I am going to say this about urine. People always want to be mad at the dog. And I get that. I do. I totally and completely get it. But I will also say 35 years in this industry, never have I had a dog who urinated on someone's bed, like jumped on the bed and peed or jumped on the dog bed and peed that when we tested the dog did not have a UTI never now that's really interesting because my daughter just yeah my daughter's dog just did that just urinated flooded her bed so that is really that's very very interesting so this kind of takes me to one of the next sections in this book when you're talking about um you know him using urine as sort of a defense mechanism is that um, countermarking pissing matches, you know, um, are they about territory? And he talks in here about these two dogs that this owner had. One was, we're just going to call him Bodie. And Bodie was the son of Rex, okay? And the family brought Bodie in first and everything was fine and he was housebroken. And then they brought Rex in. And suddenly the two of them have this pissing contest, the point where, you know, one would, would urinate and the other would urinate. And they didn't care of the people around. I mean, I would just, you know, bless his heart. Rex would just lift his leg and, and urinate on top of Bodie. And so one of the things is, is, is this a territorial battle? What's going on here? Why are these two dogs who are related to one another, right? Why are they doing this sort of urine battle? And who knows? I mean, um, one, you know, one's overmarking the other one. And I was thinking about that when you were talking about with, with Harriet and her owner, that maybe what these dogs are trying to do is that, you know, our dogs, we don't necessarily ask our dogs, okay, I'm going to bring in this dog. Is that okay with you? You know, we bring in dogs into the house. And I think sometimes that they use this sort of this pissing contest as a way to resolve issues between them without actually getting into a fight. What do you think? I would agree. 
And and I also would say, like, in a perfect, I see lots of cases where a fully house trained dog starts marking in the house once a new dog comes in. I also see lots of dogs who, when they go to a novel place, they urinate in the house. Like, a friend of mine used to take her dog to other people's homes, and every single time he would urinate at least once. Um, I have a sister who her dog used to come to our house. It was a female dog, and she used to defecate in my bathroom every single time she came. So, you know, some of that is can be management issues, but it's it also, I think sometimes we don't know why they do it. It's more important to know that they do it and how to navigate it. Right. Um, we had a dog like that, a little dog we brought home from Ecuador. Um, He was completely housebroken. And the first time I took him to my mother-in-law's house, he walked down the hallway and lifted his leg on her wall. And I was just mortified because I was like, whoa, that was completely unexpected. Yes. Yeah. A Jack Russell Terrier I had years ago, it, when we arrived somewhere new, I would walk him around to have him urinate outside until he defecated. Once he defecated, then if I took them him in the house, he didn't mark. But if I didn't, he would. So I just had to learn to navigate for him how to work through all of that for what worked for him. I had a female Doberman who took me forever to house train because um, I was dumb. Uh, it, it took me really focusing on what was happening, but I would take her out and she would urinate and defecate. I would bring her in the house. She would urinate and defecate. So I figured out and said, oh, okay, I have, she's a twofer and I have to wait until she's done with the second round before she can come in the house. Now that dog, oddly enough, ended up having um, bone cancer at five. So all of a sudden, the question becomes like, okay, well, were we urinating and defecating twice because maybe there was some discomfort? Like, I don't, I don't know. So it is interesting to me when we're navigating all of it, that it's what, what may seem really simple is sometimes just not simple. It's sometimes more complicated than that. Oh, absolutely. I, I remember with, um, with Bingley. He was completely housebroken, but yet at night I would take him out and he'd go to the bathroom and he'd come back in. And as we were heading up the stairs, he'd pee on the stairs every night. And I was like, what the heck is going on here? And I remember I called because at this point I'm in owner mode, not trainer mode. So I called Robin Bennett and said, Robin, why is he doing this? And she said, okay, Julie, now think like a trainer. Why do you think he's doing this? And she said, are you sure he's going? So what she suggested I do was take him out and, it, you know, give him a reasonable time to go and then bring him in. She said, but don't even take the leash off of him. Just wait less than a minute, take him right back out to pee. And he did. And that solved the problem. So it was interesting. I'm not sure why he did that or what was going on, but it was the same kind of thing as with your Dobie. I just had to make sure that he, he did what he wanted to do. And sometimes it was just going in and out and, he would, and it lasted for a couple of weeks and then it was fine. And we never had a problem after that. So I think right. sometimes there are just weird little issues that you just kind of have to be creative with. And you might never have an explanation as to why the dog is doing that. Well, but one thing I would say is I, I really want to caution people from the idea of being mad at the 
dog that it's automatically a house training issue. Because in my experience, it isn't always a house training issue. Right. No, I agree. I I have a longtime client who I'm, I'm proud to say is still my friend, um, who her first beagle puppy, they battled house training issues for over a year. I kept saying that your puppy, you could smell it on her that she had a UTI. I was like, she needs to have her urine cultured. You have a UTI. You're not going to house train her if she has a UTI. Like, it doesn't work. And her vet at the time was dead set against that it could not be that, that the trainer just didn't know what she was talking about and would not test. And so finally, sweet little nutmeg came and stayed with me for boarding. And I took her to my vet and we ran a urine culture. And this poor puppy ended up being on a variety of antibiotics for almost a year because it had gone from a urinary tract infection to a bladder infection to like a full-blown pretty serious infection that had some resistant bacteria. Like there, it was complicated. And I just took the results back to that original vet and said, I am the trainer who you said didn't know what she was talking about. Here is the results of the culture Please, in the future, have the professional courtesy of when I send a customer to have a culture done on urine to take their money and run a culture. Because then we know, like, that's the good thing. The good thing is we can run a culture, we can do a dip of urine, and we can know whether or not a dog is sick or not. Now, I'll give you an example. Marco, my nine-year-old pot cake, urinated on our bed. He's been fully house trained since he was, you know, basically got here. I think he's in his whole life. He's had two accidents in the house. So he, he peed on our bed and then three or four days later, he peed on his dog bed. Both times it was like, he got caught short. So he was like in the house, walking around doing stuff. And all of a sudden just his bladder cut loose. We, did a dip of urine. Sure enough, there was bacteria, red and white blood cells, started him on clavicillin, sent the culture off to be done at a laboratory. They couldn't get anything to grow. And so I asked my vet about that. And she said, well, bacteria can be sometimes just really, really fragile. And so she's like, I've seen that before where we can see it under the microscope, but they, they can't get the culture to grow. And it may have just been timing. We sent the culture on a Saturday morning. So it may be that the the sample was just degraded by the time the lab got to it. But of course, his behavior changed, you know, within 48 hours of starting on antibiotics. So it's it believe me, when I'm stripping a bed at 11 o'clock at night, I'm right there with all the other people who get frustrated with the dog. But I also don't assume that the dog is being a jerk or suddenly forgot how to be house trained. The same way that if I would hope that if I had an accident at nearly 53, the people who are hanging out with me wouldn't go, wow, she just needs a, you know, she's got an issue with potty training. They instead would be like, hey, something's really wrong. <laughs> she doesn't do that. Right. <laughs> that's right. So, no, I think that that's a really important thing to to come up with, because, you know, I also think, too, that the dogs I mean, they have substrate preferences. And if you've done potty training correctly, they're going to prefer to go outside and, and go on the substrate to which they were trained. 
And so I, I kind of think that they have a certain level, I don't know, I'm, this is an anthropomorphizing, I understand that, but I think they have a certain level of distress and embarrassment when they can't do what they want to do or when they, what they know they ought to do with their defecation and urination. And so I think that you have to sort of take a little bit of a step back and go, wow, this is not something you normally do. You usually ask me to go out. This must be something serious. So I think uh, the reminder that, you know, your dog is probably telling you something beyond just, I need to go out. There was a couple of other interesting questions here in this book that I thought I would bring up that we don't really know. But do dogs prefer to lift one leg more than the other? And I think that I do know that dogs tend to be pawed, right pawed or left pawed. And the bottom line is that it's impossible to say there are population differences in leg preference. Dogs are ambilateral, which they are able to lift both legs. But individual dogs may show a preference. And um, why is this important? Well, you might find it easier to walk your dog if you know that your dog likes to lift his right leg. It might make a difference what side of the street or which direction you go so that the trees are more easy for him to access. I don't know. Have you found that your dogs tend to prefer one leg over the other? So um, Marco, the dog I was just talking about, tends to hold his urine a really, really, really long time and then let loose with, it's probably how he gave himself a UTI, and then let use with a torrent that can last minutes, like a long time. That's not hyperbole. I am prone to hyperbole, but minutes, literally you can time him and two and a half minutes later, he's still peeing like a racehorse. And so he switches legs mid urination sometimes, I think because his leg gets tired. That's what like, I was going to say. I bet his leg gets tired. If he's peeing for minutes to hold your leg up, that's got to be exhausting. Right. Like, I mean, I try to do that in Pilates and the instructor, Debbie, just laughs at me because I get all shaky. So the he will sometimes urinate on one leg and then switch and urinate on the with the other leg up and then eventually just moves into a squat because he can't. He's like, I can't keep doing this. Um, you know, and, and I mean, he's a happy, healthy dog. He just, you know. It that's a lot of urine, specifically if it's raining. Specifically, he's like, I will hold it until it is not raining anymore. So it's it's kind of funny. So uh my dogs almost all tend to lift their right leg, though can do either. Um, Jack is eight, he almost never lifts his leg. If he does, it's a surprise even to him and and he's the highest ranking dog in the house as far as amongst the dogs he ranks higher than anyone else so he's confident enough i don't think he has to compete with him he just doesn't so he doesn't go out there and over mark where they mark because there's nothing for him to be gained by that right he's not going to gain status he's already the highest ranked dog and that's that's one of the things, like, I think humans are so fixated on rank, right? Us versus them, who has more power, who doesn't, who's being subjugated, that I think sometimes we float that into things that it doesn't necessarily matter. Because, again, my highest ranking dog in the household is a kind and benevolent leader, as they should be, 
and he doesn't push it. So if you want to pee higher than he does, like he's okay with that. He doesn't care. Doesn't care. Right. The same way that I don't, I'm not necessarily gonna, you know, tell my staff where they have to sit in the training room. Like that would be silly. Why would I expend that energy? They can sit where they want. So I would actually make the argument that where you get those pissing contests is when there's more uncertainty for a dog, that they don't know where they fit in the continuum or how the system is working and they're uncertain. But again, I don't have a way to prove that one way or the other. Yeah, I think I think that that's, um, that's a good point. One of the things I was going to say too is that dogs urinating different ways like, Clemmy tends to, well, I both have girls and they tend to squat, although females can lift their legs just like males can. That's not an uncommon feature of females, but both of my dogs squat, but they squat differently. Clemmy squats and goes. Zuzu squats in a line. So she moves. So I always tell, I can always tell, especially in the snow where she's urinated because there's this, oh, it's got to be, what's this, 18 inches or more? She urinates in a line. She also poops in a line. She's my serial pooper. She can't seem to, she can't just let it go in one spot. No, she goes in a line. So that's just who she is. She's been that way from the get-go. Clemmy, not so much. So I think that, that there's going to be a lot of individual variance without anything being one way being right or wrong. If your female lifts her leg, that's just what she does. If your male never does, that's who he is. And I think that that's just fine. Now, the next question in after about leg lifting is, why do dogs sometimes lift their legs without peeing? Well, I, I think when sometimes I wonder if they're being watched by another dog, if they're just sort of like bluffing, you know what I mean? That they're kind of like, okay, I'm, I don't really need to pee here, but I'm going to lift my leg just to show you that, you know, I've got some status here. They did a... It's also called dry marking, by the way. That what they found was marking was distinguished from merely urinating in two ways. Okay. We also scored the frequency of occurrence of what we call the raised leg display that occurred when a dog raised a leg but did not deposit any obvious urine. So these were the results that they had from their study. Males marked more than females and at a higher rate for males, 7.1% of urinations qualified as marking. For females, 18%. Males ground scratch significantly more than females after marking, and males did it significantly more when other dogs could see them do it. I thought that was very interesting. Both males and females marked at the lowest rate in areas in which they spent the greatest amount of time. Seeing another dog, male dog mark was a strong visual releaser for urine marking by males. Sniffing did not invariably precede marking by either males or females. The raised leg display appeared to function as a visual display, and males performed the raised leg display significantly more frequently when other males were in sight. So they tend to lift their legs when other males are around, whether they urinate or not. But I also found that the, the scratching thing, we had our dog Rebel, whenever he would urinate, you had to stand back because he would, he'd scratch. I mean, he would throw mulch and stuff like six feet into the air I mean he would just I used to hate to walk him up at Denison because he would go he'd go off the path which was yay but he'd go where there was mulch and suddenly there was mulch like everywhere and then he'd do this little what we call his pigeon growl he'd go, 
as he'd be flying. Anyway, it was just hysterical. I'm not sure what the pigeon growl was, and I'm not sure why we had to fling mulch from here to Dayton, but we did. Marco does that. Marco, I need to get try to get video of it. When he does the scuffing, which Chris caused flushing. When he does the scuffing post-pooping, he stretches his back legs higher than his top line, like out straight. It's the weirdest scuffing I've ever seen because usually it's kind of lateral. His is like hyperextended. It's very fancy. Now, again, Marco lacks confidence. So it's about flinging it as far as he can fling it. I do think there's a little bit of, ha, try to clean it up now, mom. He has totally pelted me with poop because I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. And so much of the time, like if I'm walking him and he poops, I just move him off a little bit before the scuffing begins in the hopes that I'll be able to clean up the poop without, you know, getting scuffed by it. But it's, yeah, no, dogs are weird. And I, I don't understand the scuff. I don't know if if they're scent marking because you know they can sweat through their paw pads. So I don't know if they feel like they're adding additional scent when they. I don't know. All I know is that with rubble, you just had to stand back because if you weren't paying attention, you were going to get pelted by maybe not by poop, but you were certainly going to get pelted by mulch because that was his favorite thing to 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 scuff was mulch. It would go and 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 then, and he had these paws that were like steam shovels. And so um, <laughs> he would dig trenches. He was a great dog, but it was it was really funny. Um, so then the next, I lost my questions. Oh, then the coup d'état. Why do dogs roll in stinky stuff? Oh, oh, I don't know. I think there could be all sorts of answers, right? So I think it can be that they're masking their own scent. I can think that it's that they're marking with their scent, right? So think about, um, I see this a lot with Mr. If you give him a new toy, he throws, he plays with it and then he throws it down and he rolls all over it. So that either he's transferring the scent of the thing to him to go, ha ha ha, this is now part of me or vice versa. Um, I also wonder if there's a skin microbiome piece, because there is an argument that one of the reasons that dogs eat fecal matter from other animals is, including themselves, you know, other dogs, is to improve their gut microbiome, to to get bacteria that they lack in their own system and in a natural way. I do wonder, like, okay, maybe some of that rolling, I would be curious to see like, are those dogs that have a lot of allergies and skin problems? And are they trying to enhance their skin microbiome? Like, are they bathed all the time? So they're constantly trying to add bacteria back into their skin microbiome. I, of course, will never know because I'm just working. I'm not not reading. Well, <laughs> what I would say but, here is that they don't know either why dogs are Julie will it. read it and and find out for them. But I love the idea of the skin biome. And I don't know if anybody's looked at that. And certainly in this section on why do dogs roll in sneaky stuff, 
it's not mentioned. And I think that's really an intuitive on your part and, and something that really needs to be taken a, a look at for people who care about these things. And I also like the idea that like our Hudson, our golden retriever, when he would get a new toy or something like that, or he would do the same thing. He would love on it and then he would roll on it. And I think he was trying to, to mark it as, as his. He was a little bit of a resource garter anyway. But that's not something that's stinky. That's something I'm transferring my stink too. I'm not really trying to smell like a piece from of rubber toy. Perspective. From our perspective. So from our perspective, the toy is clean and new and doesn't have any stink, but I don't know that that's true from a dog's perspective. Right. Right. I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know. People ask me how to make poop taste bad. I'm like, hmm, <laughs> that's a good one. Fig Newtons, pineapple. I don't know. Like it's going to, it seems like it would taste bad enough on its own. So the dog is doing it for a reason. I, we just don't always perceive what it may be. I do think when I, I mean, Jack and Mr. Both roll in the grass when they're just happy. There's not yes. a dead deer out there yes. to my knowledge. Now I'll have to check, but like they're, they're just rolling in the grass, I think, because it feels good to roll in the grass, the same reason it feels good to roll on the carpet. And most of the time, I think that rolling is an expression of happiness. So maybe they're so happy they found a dead jellyfish on the beach that they want to roll in it because it's such an exciting find. It's like me finding a sand dollar or something. I don't, I'm not sure. Well, do you roll on the sand dollar when you find it to make sure that it's yours? No. Oh, okay. No, I do not. I've never found a sand dollar. So maybe if I ever do, I'll have to update the notes on the podcast that maybe I would. I'm trying to think if there's anything I'm so excited about that I would roll in it. Hmm. I don't know. I, I, I was thinking the same thing. Uh -huh. One thing I will say is that, is that what I do notice is that for Hudson... And for my other dogs that have rolled, it tends to be with something new that they're presented. A new blanket, a new bed, a new toy that they roll on. They don't tend to do that with stuff that's been around for a while. They might do it if I've washed it and it now it doesn't have its scent anymore. But that's why I was wondering if it's a little bit of marking on their part. Maybe it's just the joy of having it. Maybe it's, it could be, a, you know, it can't be, it could be more than one thing. It doesn't have to just be one thing. It could be, I am so happy to have this. I want to roll on it because it's an expression of joy. And I get the benefit of then I smell a little bit like it and it smells like me. So it could have more than one benefit. But I don't know if they're rolling on a new bed or a toy for the microbiome. The stinky stuff might be more so. What's interesting is he got an email, he being Mark Beckoff, from a guy who has put, um, he has a rolling rating system for his dog, which I thought was um, kind of interesting. And he wrote to Mark Beckoff and said, on our walks on and around the beach, there are many delightful things my Rhodesian Ridgeback enjoys rolling in. She does it frequently enough that I have developed a simple rating system classifying the nicest to the nastiest. Dead birds are the best you can hope for. A little musty, but nothing too gag-worthy. Fish, really, just fishy. Land mammals are next, a special kind of vulgarity. Yes, it escalates quickly, but the creme de la creme are dead sea mammals. They are full of all that rotting blubber slathered in delicious fatty oils. So, 
he goes on to say that he doesn't think this is related to scent marking, but it definitely satisfies some important need in dogs to smell in every sense of the word. So for whatever reason, your dog rolls in the stinky stuff. If for another reason to mask its scent, he does say that there's some indication that it could be that dogs are trying to mask their scent. He says, lending credence to the theory that they're trying to mask their scent, their own order. Research suggests that red foxes appear to roll on scent left by pumas to mask their own scent so as not to call attention to themselves and confuse predators. So it could be that since foxes are related to dogs, that there might be some primordial thing about rolling in the scent to, to disguise myself. Right. Who knows? Right. No one actually knows why dogs do some of these things. Well, maybe there's more than one answer. I mean, we do things for more than one reason. Yeah, and that's kind of what I said, that I think that it can be multiple reasons for why dogs do the things that they do. So that's just some of the things that we've been talking about, thinking about, having to do with sort of scatological issues. Once again, the book I've been reading from is Mark Beckoff's Canine Confidential. And two other books along the same line, as I mentioned earlier, Inside of a Dog by Alexandra Horowitz and Being a Dog, also by Alexandra Horowitz. I will have uh, links to those on the website. And I think that that kind of wraps up. This is a rather stinky episode, but... (laughs) I will say I have purchased Andrea's books for other people who were interested in scent. Like, it's not that I'm against... (laughs) reading I really like to read I just usually don't get to I understand I have I have a house full of books that I really desperately want to read that I don't I don't get to so I'm always glad when you've gotten a hold of something and read it and can give me the the quick version and I wonder if it's worth having this author on like it sounds like he might be quite the stinker you know what? I will see about contacting Mark Beckoff and see if he would like to come on. And, and I've got a couple, three of his books. So, yeah, that would be great. I'll see if we could get him to uh, to come on. Anyway, he's, he's, got, and he's got a real easy writing style. And he's also really more than willing to say, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just bringing this issue up because I find it really interesting. And, and I watch dogs do this and I don't have an answer. So, but, you know, maybe if we all start looking at this stuff and thinking about it, maybe we'll have some answers. So anyway, but I understand the feeling. I also was the same way. I was like, I have all this these bookshelves full of books. And so I've just sort of made an effort that every morning I take an hour and I carve out 15 minutes to read a dog book, 15 minutes to read something in philosophy or theology, listen to um, my podcast, a, a, a Bible in a year. And next, next year, I'm going to do the catechism in a year. So yay for me. And um to do my noom reading. So I just take this hour every morning. I get up early enough that I have an hour that I can do a little bit of writing because going back to what we talked about in the last episode, which is Chesterton's idea that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing badly. So, um, or poorly. So um, it takes me a while to get through these books, but I plug away at my 15 minutes a day and uh, eventually I, I do get through some books. So that's how I do it. But you know, so yeah, I, I decided I'm adding exercise, right? So that I I have hit a point in life where I now realize like I can't try to change too many things at once. I'm going to get myself a little healthier 
and feeling better and then maybe move on to adding reading back in. And like Julie and I were talking about this when we started, it was 59 degrees in my house this morning. So this morning was build a fire, bake some bread, start a pot of water boiling on the stove, try to get things going and warming up because Georgia is not really built for these temperatures. And so it threw off my workout routine. I'll do it now after we get done recording. But it's uh, for those of you who are dealing with awful weather um, and cold that you're not used to and struggling with it, just know we're thinking about you and it'll it'll be spring eventually. <laughs> and and was, remember too, though, that those cold temperatures are difficult for your dogs too. We had yeah. below zero temperatures this last week and, you know, the dogs were out for short, very short periods of time because they can get frostbite and have problems too. So, yeah. And I think about like, so Dovey isn't being able to go outside and run around and play the way he typically would like to, because it's just too cold. Uh, so this morning he ate his breakfast out of his Kong wobbler in his crate because he got an upgraded crate from Santa. So he um, he could play with a food dispensing toy in his crate as a little bit of enrichment. But yeah, it's it's hard on the dogs too, just being this cold, right? We Southerners are not used to it. <laughs> we know that it's, it's funny because coming from the Northeast, I know how to dress for this weather and how to deal with it. I just resent having to do it. Like, I, I left, left the North for a reason. reason. Um, no, I, I understand that. Yeah, so, like, I don't want to put on 38 layers and dress like a blueberry to go out and get the mail. Like, that's that's terrible. I don't want to have to do that. So then I instead just suffer and gripe. So um, we're slowly getting um, – I think, I think we're slowly moving out of the cold weather this week, so – yeah, we're supposed to move out. We've been in, uh, we were below zero for a while, then we moved into the 20s, and supposedly it's supposed to be in the 60s tomorrow. So we'll see what happens. Oh, that sounds lovely. It was it was 68 in the house yesterday, so I took the extra blankets off the bed and then woke up this morning, and it was not 60 in the house. Yeah, sorry about that. So it's a little rough. Well, and I'm like, a, you know, Christopher laughs that I'm like a lizard on a rock. I'm like, it feels cold. I'm not coming out of the bed. <laughs> and then he just laughs at me because I'm a fool. So I'll do my work and get going. So everybody stay warm, stay safe, stay healthy. Try to try to enjoy this cold, dark time of the year. And we'll we'll catch you now. It's past the solstice. So the days are getting longer, longer again. Yay. So we'll see you all next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.